you know, he doesn't want to cut a pound. His body won't let him cut a pound. Well, then you better win the tournament, okay? That's BS. That's bull crap. He's got some, he's got some big balls, man. You zip your lip, you shut your mouth, and you open your ears. That's how you win. That's how you get better. Win, you live, lose, you die. Okay, podcast, stay late this week, but we have with us uh, FNM assistant wrestling coach, Matt Greenberg. How you doing, Matty? Doing great, bud. What's going on? So we've done this before. We should probably tell listeners that uh, yeah, we did this. Yeah, breaking the fourth wall. <laughs> we're breaking the fourth wall. We did this podcast last night. It was excellent. It was 48 minutes long, and um, and then it didn't record properly, so... Yeah, so that happened. Yeah, we're gonna blame that on Fila. So we're gonna blame that on Fila. But remember too, what is what we established is that if pe- people who are listening to the podcast should know right up front that at about the ten minute mark, we're gonna drop some big news. <laughs> we're gonna, true. We're gonna so drop. You gotta stay tuned. Gotta stay tuned because at the tenth minute. This is this is what you do in radio, Breaking I suppose. News. Breaking news. Is yeah, this what? that's what you do on the radio. Right before you go to commercial, you do something like in a cheesy voice. Coming up next, find <laughs> out which college prospect is going to jump to the top of the draft board. That's funny because you go to commercial. That's like if you watch the uh, at like nine thirty, they're like, which milk could be causing you AIDS? Find out at eleven. It's like <laughs> what the hell? Yeah, it's like. Huge supermarket recall on medication. Find out at eleven. No, 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 no. Kind of know now. <laughs> <laughs> if it's that, and then it ends up, and it's like some Tylenol, maybe you know, ulceritis for for elderly, and it's like, what? That doesn't. That was not as you teased me. Yeah. So, so this you is. You have in your medicine cabinet, and you're probably taking right this second. Yeah. <laughs> Which coffee gives you anal warts? It's, yeah, it's not you. You can't uh, can't trust those guys. Media. So yeah, let's uh, let's break it down. Big year for big year for F and M. So let's do some some plugging away of your boy Rick Durso. And yeah, yeah, we had a good year. Rick Durso kind of emerged as you know a bright spot for our program. Yeah, had a great year. He's, uh, I think he ended up the year at thirty nine and five. All-American round. Uh, lost to Steber, who was the number one ranked undefeated guy at NCAAs in the quarters by you know, a last-second controversial takedown, which uh, the video re- review failed to uh, be overturned. But uh, he's, got, he's on his sophomore, so he's coming back. He should be ranked top eight coming in the next year. Uh, he's already beat three or four All-Americans. One at the tournament. So yeah, he wasn't like a flash-in-the-pan kind of guy. People like... He wasn't like no. a, it wasn't like he had like yeah. one move and everyone was like oh snap like you can't figure out that move he and no one says oh snap but he he is just solid like he's extremely talented yeah all year you know he just kept winning and beating people but no one really gave him any you know credit or acknowledgement just because you know we admittedly didn't have the the big events on our schedule just because we couldn't sustain it as a program yet but. 
Now at Eastern, he beat Nevinger, he beat uh, Cobb, he won the EIWAs, which is probably the second top of the conference. And then at NCAAs, I mean, in the, pre- the round before the quarters, he beat Dardanes, I mean, who ended up, you know, placing and Nevinger placed. So he's legit. He only had, you know, three losses, like I said, going into the tournament. So uh, I think he, now he will be, you know, so he's earned the respect and he'll be in the mix. But uh, he's come a long way, so... No, we're getting there. We're building something. I'm not sure what it is, but we're building it. Yeah. So tell a little bit about, uh, you know, we talked about this, of course, recently, as last night uh, for me, earlier in the day for you. But the, um, up, teasing that 10 o'clock. Where, what could possibly account for that much time difference? Find out at 10. The, uh, tell a little bit, because you had kind of an interesting track to how you got into coaching. So just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I, uh, I went to Cornell, obviously wrestled there with Rob Cole and uh, graduated Cornell, stayed around training through the, uh, the Olympic cycle in 04 and then wrestled for the New York Athletic Club for a year after that. And then I went to NYU for uh, my sports business master's and uh, started working for Major League Baseball in the NBA and, uh, you know, doing some work in the sports business world. Um, and I switched over and started working for a sports marketing agency for three years. Uh, doing all their sales and marketing with NASCAR, Burger King, and some big companies. And uh, moved down to Miami and was doing work with them and a lot of uh, pro athletes. And then I uh, got a call from Cole saying that F&M was looking for a, an assistant and they were, you know, trying to revitalize and rebuild the program. And I had missed wrestling for a while, so I figured that, you know, I can't do that forever. I might as well get back into it and uh, made the decision to, Packed my bags and uh, moved to Pennsylvania. So I gave up the uh, the high life for the uh, laid back country life. So Miami to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, huh? There was no change really for you in no. that sense, right? From from Cuban no, coffee I mean, and Cuban America. The girls yeah. are hotter here, of course. Um, you know, a lot more to do. The nightlife is much more uh, consistent and active here. But, of course. Uh, it was well worth it because I'm wrestling every day. So, do you find it like you, that? Your that your wrestling is somehow like they're they're therapeutic, or I mean, what what is it about wrestling that makes you want to just be there? But I do actually. I mean, when I wasn't doing it, I just it was like something was missing. Um, well, I was doing you know good work, and I, I liked what I was doing, but it definitely wasn't as rewarding as coaching or being able to help, you know, these young guys kind of get where they need to go. And, uh, you know, if I just went to some big program, like, a, you know, a program that was kind of already established and was just a machine that was just turning out wrestlers and, you know, it wasn't as kind of personal and developmental as it is here, I don't know if it would have been the same uh, enjoyment that I get from this. But, I mean, we literally built this thing kind of from the ground up from reaching out to alums, reestablishing communications with people, to building our dual meets up and coming up with promotions to fill the gym and recruiting. We had six guys when we started. Now we have over 20. So, I mean, it's a little different than just being an assistant coach at a program that's already established and already, you know, really just needs a body in the room to wrestle. So yeah. It's a lot more. It's more of a, you know, a marketing kind of mix type of role. So it's not just coaching. It's not the generic sense coaching so it's a little different and that's kind of what appeals to me about it but 
I do absolutely. I love the wrestling. I love being able to, to work with guys and help them and not just that, but the other parts of it, which I don't know if I'd be able to get that at other places. So it, it is unique in that regard. And you're, and you're in a way, you're also going to be like kind of using your sports management knowledge, right? Like you've, you've yeah. done, like you were explaining. Little, every day. Yeah. What's up? You, you explained that you guys have a tournament, your tournament. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of what, when uh, Coach Rogers, Mike Rogers, he, he was hired the year after I got here to be the head coach, uh, we kind of sat down and made a list of, like, the three, four things that we needed to kind of establish ourselves, because f and is a D3 school, very small, it's like 2,000-plus kids here, so we kind of had to work backwards, we're not going to have the scholarships, we're not going to have the big campus to recruit, so we kind of worked backwards and figured out what we needed to, to be appealing to we're in the middle of, you know, the wrestling country here in Pennsylvania. How can we appeal to high school kids and, you know, get fans interested? And we figured that having a, a marquee event that we hosted every year would definitely be on that list. So we went about building that, and this is our first year. Had 300 wrestlers. We, you know, all all the, you know, East Coast teams sent people. It was a really good tournament. We had four or five All-Americans wrestling in the finals. Um, so it's competitive tournament, perfect time, or perfect location. You know, Was this the tournament that the, that the Altons went to when they were on suspension? Yep, they were here. They wrestled. They won. Um, you know, so it's a good place. If you get suspended, uh, wrestlers, you may call and I'll get you in. So it's a great <laughs> place for people on parole. Anybody, this is the parolees tournament. Anybody who wants to yep. come, let's do it. I feel like there's a lot of money to be made in wrestling tournaments. I feel like if you're able to just make a few phone calls... And manage a, and you have low overhead. You can probably make decent money at a wrestling tournament. True or false? Uh, absolutely true. And again, for a program like ours, where we have our budget, which is what it is, and you know we need to supplement our our budget and our, whatever else we need money for to, to to do the things we need to do as a Division One program and be competitive. But we needed something else to bring in and camps are not necessarily something we can do. I mean, there's Penn State, there's Lock Haven, there's all these camps right here. So we couldn't compete with that. So and what's... This was kind of the next option. I mean, are you making, like, tens of thousands of dollars off of this? It, it can. I mean, our first year, we were, we were close to that. Um, so if we can somehow figure out a way to continue... Being our first year, we probably spent more than we needed to on, you know, concessions and health and just trying to make sure we had enough of everything rather than figuring out what we need. So if we're smart and we learn from what we didn't need this year but had, we can definitely cut a lot of what we spent and make a lot more profit and uh, have things run a little bit more smoothly. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a big opportunity that we're not going to – Let's slip away. Now, how close are you to the population centers of, like, Harrisburg and then also other places? Harrisburg's 40 minutes away, if that. Um, Philly's about an hour and 20. New York's a little under three. So we're pretty close. State College is two hours. Lock Haven's an hour and a half. I mean, we're, we're pretty close to everything. So that's why it's such a perfect – and when we have it – you know, first week of January, first weekend in January, there's nothing else going on really. So uh, it kind of falls at a good time, and you know, we kind of saw that opportunity, and, you know, we're trying to own it as the place to go for that weekend. All right. 
it's like the new Southern Scuffle, like how Southern Scuffle moved in. It's like, hey, you know what? People like Midlands, but they also like being warm. Maybe they want to go yeah, south. that was the thing, man. I remember going out to Midlands and sitting there after, you know, two days of wrestling with two black eyes, you know, all beat up. They hand you like a paperweight for placing. And I looked at my buddy and I'm like, that's it. We're standing here freezing our butt off, getting beat up, and this is what it's all about. <laughs> so, yeah. And then they came out with the Southern Scuffle. It seemed a little bit more enjoyable. It's new. It's different. They seem to kind of have bought into, you know, how to get the fans involved and making it exciting. And it's right. not as kind of old and dusky as, you know, the Midlands was. So it's just a new thing, and I think that that's what people want to want to experience and if it's fun and exciting and I mean you, you pointed to it though it's like well, we need we need better events like we need to have you know better marketed events and that's just something that fail we're just failing to do overall like you know I maybe some smoke helps I thought that actually that the entry stuff was pretty cool for NCAAs I'm kind of a curmudgeon about that kind of thing but I thought that was actually pretty cool but the like with the names and the smoke um but yep I thought that was pretty cool. Um, but, yeah, we need to do more, not necessarily, like, it doesn't have to be, uh, it doesn't have to be, like, the sparkling and all that. It doesn't have to, I'm sorry, the, the, the smoke. But, you know, like, nice, brand-new mats, uh, you know, good television production, advertising, just making it into a professional, whether, whether it's the finals of your tournament or the finals of uh, Midlands especially or Scuffle. Having those types of events is going to be huge for the growth of our sport because then every time someone interacts with the sport, they expect that that's the way that they're going to, that, you know, that's the product that they're going to get, which forces competitors to do better. You know, if we just keep throwing things in dusty gyms uh, with wooden uh, bleachers and throw down like a middle school mat, we're not going to attract the fans that we want. And I think, I mean, just the fact that NCAA is on the mat was the hashtag, you know, D1 ref. I mean, I thought that was pretty cool. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's a start. And I think that if you look at, I mean, football is big money and basketball, but anything that they do has a sponsor on it. Any big event that has to do with those things, there's, you know, 10 sponsors thrown on it. The, the bowl games, what the guys get for participating in them. That's a lot of clutter. So I think if there was some marquee events that, you know, companies can get involved with for a fraction of what they pay to be the 10th company on a football game, you know, there's opportunities there. And there's competitors, I mean, to, to be able to compete in events that get you, you know, notoriety and get your name out there and are, are fun to be a part of and people are watching them. I think that I mean, I think that's because football, though. Football technically really isn't run by the NCAA. It's just regulated. So it's, you know, yep. the reason that that's what we, the bowl, the bowl series especially. But, I, I mean, that's what, that's what I don't understand about the NCAA and the whole bullshit about amateurism is, look, it's going to go away. At some – the O'Bannon case or, or whatever, something's going to strike down this weird rule of amateurism that we have in the NCAA. And when it does happen – Wrestling needs to be jumping all over the fact that we can do things that are a little bit different, whether it's sponsoring, you know, having singlets that are sponsored, like, you know, uh, or, or changing over to, you know, fight shorts and, and um, to fight shorts and, 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 and rash guards, you know, something that consumers can buy in stores, but also, you know, maybe getting advertisers on those or, or whatever, you know, finding different ways to adapt, but 
man, do we have a lack of good ideas or a lack of willpower to implement good ideas. Because whether it's well, I think a, there's a lack of perspective. Yeah, I, mean, I think it is. I think it's vision, just, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's, and you see it a lot. I mean, it's hard because, I mean, look at the, the biggest programs in our sport. They don't need to, to change. Penn State is pretty much going to be Penn State. You know, they, they tell people they don't want them to wrestle there. They don't have to really go out and, you know, sell them on it. Iowa's Iowa. You know, so outside of, like, Cornell and some of the, the other programs that are coming up and really hustling, you know, it's hard because the big marquee programs don't necessarily need to, to look ahead as far as, you know, everyone else who's trying to stay alive has to, you know, the, the, the bottom, you know, half of the, the NCAA programs, Division One wrestling programs, they need to be thinking that way because they can get dropped just like the U guys. Oh, yeah. There's nothing really keeping them alive. And, you know, it's hard. I mean, you saw it with the, the national duels meeting. I mean, half the guys didn't want to do it, and we're just like, no. And, you know, half of them do. And it's just it's hard to get everyone on the same page. And until we do that, I think we're going to be in trouble. Because there are a lot of good ideas out there, and it doesn't hurt to try them. If it works, great. If it doesn't, I don't necessarily think it's going to set us back. We can just kind of learn from it and evolve into whatever's next. Yeah, I mean, um, look, we can do that. You know, we see it. We 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 see it as a reactionary thing all the time. There's more fans of Save BU Wrestling than there are BU Wrestling on Twitter. So I mean, there's a certain disconnect. You know, that's. That, that that keeps that keeps happening. Fila didn't have a Facebook page. There's a massive amount of baseline things that we need to be doing, and then immediately once we're doing them, we need to be on the cutting edge. Wrestling needs to be using applications like Vine on their Twitter uh, to get through, like you know, maybe some like sweet moves from matches or something like that. We need to co-opt all that stuff into our technology and direct it. But the thing is, you know, we. We have to. We have a lot of things on our plate already. We have to actually do the coaching and the winning and the wrestling, in addition to doing the tweeting and the, uh, you know, alumni. Rate. I mean, I'm telling you, you know all this, to, to raising alumni money. But how much is it? I mean, I don't know how much. I mean, to be honest, the coaching part of it. I mean, if you can attract talented wrestlers, I think again, there's less of the actual coaching, and for the survival of the sport, I'm talking big picture. How much of it is coaching as much as there is kind of figuring out how to evolve and grow and get to that next phase of what our sport is going to be? I guess I mean in the sense of like they're they're spending time coaching, not that they're... Yeah. Not that they, you know... I I think it's hard. Um, I mean, I I don't know. I don't see getting everyone on the same page and getting them to, to realize that. Like you said with the BU thing... Nobody would have cared about what was going on there. You know, it's just that it's done now and people want to, you know, react to something and it's, it's, like, too late. I hope they save it. I really do. And I hope that, you know, we can kind of figure this out and it becomes a model for how to be proactive and and keep these programs off the chopping block. But, you know, where was everybody before this? Where were people saying, hey, there's 10 We wrestled them this year. There's 10 people in the gym. And, you know, the school is not going to want to keep paying for them just to have a wrestling program because they've had one for 25 years. They want to go in other directions as well. I think um, I think the biggest... You know, so how do we get out in front of that? Exactly. And I think one of the points you just made and one of the things that irritates me to absolutely no end is this argument of antiquity that 
we were the first sport. Well, it doesn't matter if you're the first sport. What you need to prove is, what you need to show people is why you were the first sport. What were the values that that original cultures sought, or that what was the purpose of wrestling that was true seven thousand years ago? That's true today. It doesn't matter if it's the oldest. It matters why it's the oldest. And then you take those arguments and you bring them forward into modern day, and you say, "Hey, look, we're still using wrestling as a means of." Nonviolent, uh, you know, uh, not you know, nonviolent co- conflict resolution. You know, that's a, a massive point of community building, of uh, you know, sharpening social skills, creating social bonds. All these values that come through wrestling that aren't wrestling doesn't just make character reveals character. It's like, what do you shut up? I don't care. I don't yeah. stop being a hard ass. Like, you know, I know wrestlers think we're the toughest dudes on the planet, but being a hard ass with a bunch of people who don't care if you're a hard ass doesn't get you anywhere. It just it wrestling has this terrible reputation for seeing a problem and ramming its head through it through the wall as opposed to trying to find you know trying to innovate and develop, you know? I mean, I remember when I was I was interning on Capitol Hill in 2000 2001, we put together a you know, we were in a the NWCA and we were just in a series of lawsuits against these women's organizations about dropping title you know title nine and all sorts of stuff it's like lots of money going to this issue it was a it's a pr thing and it's a pr issue that we just didn't work to fix you know we didn't find the ways that we needed to fix it and win the pr battle we just kept trying to go through the courts like that was ever gonna change the outcome of what was gonna happen and i see the same thing happening right now with with the way that we talk about the wrestling in the Olympics, we're, we're talking about, oh, this sport shouldn't be in there. We should be in there. It's like, th- it doesn't matter about other sports. You need to make your case for yourself. You need to make a case for, you know, what we can do and, and why we're relevant today as we were 7,000 years ago. Does that make sense? Like, I feel like we're, we're still approaching these problems in a very bullheaded manner. Not just that it's reactionary. Yeah, like, I mean, it's like anything else. Look at, I mean, newspapers. I mean, they... Well, people need newspapers. No, they don't. You know, no one wants to get yesterday's news tomorrow. You know, it evolved, and they didn't get on board, and now they're going to be extinct. I mean, think that's the same thing with us. Just because we were first and we've been around, if we don't change, people are going to move on to something that is changing and is evolving and gives them access and keeps them informed and, and is entertaining and is available on all of their, you know, different tablets and phones and computers. And they can get, you know, access to all the time. And, uh, and that's the thing. It's like, important. yeah, we don't do it. We don't do a good job of bringing in the groups that can help us the most. Like, look, women's wrestling can absolutely save wrestling in this country if there's a massive investment and we get more women involved at the high school level and colleges want to start drawing them in it'd be incredible let me let me tell you the example louisville just won the national basketball championship and they probably got a kickoff of like 20 million dollars and they were already in the black something like 20 million dollars so they have basically like 40 million dollars to mess with something preposterous if Louisville comes out and, and they said they want to make a new Division One team, they're going to the ACC. So they can do the lacrosse thing and try to generate interest. But, you know, that's going to get them whatever. But if Louisville comes out and says, we're going to start a wrestling team, 
amid the 2020 controversy, and we're going to have we're going to start a women's the first ever Division One women's wrestling team or wrestling team at a Division One school. We want we intend for us to be the leaders. The PR for that for that school, pff, unbelievable, unbelievable PR. The first school that does that is going to get their name in every paper, the New York Times. They're going to look like the most socially forward of all of the you know of, of, of any collegiate athletics program. Why aren't we Why aren't we pushing schools to do that? You know, why aren't we selling Syracuse and Notre Dame on this sort of enlightenment? Because our leaders don't really. I mean, they believe in women's wrestling, but they don't like believe in women's but that's wrestling. That's what I was just going to say. But what do you think? the fallout of that is. I mean, the people who, you know, unfortunately people want to hear from or people listen to or look to for, you know, guidance or, you know, sound bites are not, I don't think, going to support that or not going to recognize that as something or understand that that's something that's good for the sport or see 10 years down the road how that could balance out, you know, the reasoning for dropping wrestling now and why we've lost, you know, over half of the programs that existed before this. I mean, I, I don't know if, you know, how do you get everyone on the same page? How do you get them to buy into it? I think we need to do what we didn't more. do with Philo. I think we, I, you're right, by the way. I know your questions are rhetorical. What I think one of the ways that we can do that is I think we need to take a lesson from Fila and say they didn't do enough to grow and change rapidly enough. Now we have to spend, you know, tens of millions of dollars throughout the world to try to change people's minds, right? So what we need to do is we need to start a lobbying effort in America. And the people that we're, we're taking are good ideas and we're going to lobby our leaders, okay? Our, some of our leaders are going to lobby the rest of our community and we're just going to harp on it, you know? We're just going to – we're going to do it. We're going to keep saying this is what we want. We want more women's wrestling. We want to do creative programming that's going to bring positive publicity to wrestling. Um, you know, my nonprofit, that's what we, that's what we want to do with different things around the world. We have a initial funding for a project in South Sudan that we believe, and has been shown in the past that wrestling tournaments there have led to the end of violence among warring tribes, end of violence. Once they get together and they talk after wrestling, they usually are like, Oh, you're a stud. Oh, you're a stud too. All right, cool, man. Well, we're not going to steal any more cattle or rape your women. And that might seem flippant, but that's exactly what was happening. And they stopped it. Just by having a wrestling tournament. Now, granted, that's a sort of a huge idea in a remote location. But among wrestling community, if we get out in front of each other and say, look, we need to do X, Y, and Z to improve our sport. We need more women. We need better marketing. And this is the only thing we're going to accept. If we lobby each other, we can make a huge change. We can make an enormous difference. But right now, I think even as we say these ideas, there are people, and I get their emails, who are like, women shouldn't wrestle. God said yep. women. God said women shouldn't wrestle. I get that email. If they don't, and then if you say, "Well, if that was the only way that we could save our sport," no, 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 that's not true. We could save our sport. You know, they'll never get rid of our sport. You know, it's the greatest sport ever. But you know, again, things need to change. We need to think outside the box, and we need to. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to make things better and to make things work? And I think as things start skewing younger, people our age and people who, you know, quote, unquote, get it, I think these changes will happen. The problem is we're racing against the clock. That's a really good – that's a good – that's a really good point. 
I think because I've been noticing this thing, and, I, and it, maybe it's like a blinding flash of the obvious, or as alcoholics say, <laughs> a moment of clarity. A moment of clarity. It's a moment of clarity. But, he, but here's the thing: it's like there's there's an option for us. Like I think that with, and I'll give tons of credit to Flow for this. But they've created there's a this new network of information, including Flow and, and I believe Intermat where it is skewing younger and it's skewing towards ideas because the only thing getting put out in the th- the only thing that our consumer base is taking in are those ideas and uh, is that newness. So newness is now the accepted front, like change is what we want. And I think it's slow and it's building, but that attracts obviously a, a, a younger audience. And, you know, we're the leaders, like the 78 year old Penn State fan, God bless him. He's not the one who's going to be driving what we need to do for the next several decades. You know, it's our time. And as the guys in their fifties and sixties who run these organizations and have done a subpar job, you know, they're going to, they're going to, they need to lose their jobs too. You know, I think that's the thing. I think that. And that's what needs to happen. And I think too. I mean, you know, again, you know, we talked about it before. There's only, what is it? 72 spots. The people who get them need to be people who, look at things in a three-dimensional way, not just, you know, in the room. They need to, to kind of buy into this bigger picture and, and this kind of new way of having to do things because no one's going to give you anything just because of what you were. you got to kind of keep earning it and evolving and showing that there's a use for you and that you provide a service to your school, to your, your you know, city, to your area, to your, to your you know, country. All those things need to be constantly be demonstrated and evolving for people to continue to support what you're doing and uh, whether it's a level of comfort with some of the old guard and that needs to change or you know it just needs to be people with new ideas and a a fresh way of thinking they kind of get how to do this right Um, it needs to happen we talked about this we talked again we talked about this last night so we're just sort of reminding ourselves but and this might be a loose connection to make but you know I mentioned to you last night we were talking about Jay Moore's podcast, you know, uh, put your yep. name on it. Um, it name on it. <laughs> put your name on it. Uh, <laughs> which is by the way, the best podcast to just do the best podcast there is great intro to that podcast. Excellent intro. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Are you going to be great if you don't study greatness? Um, but there's, but you know, we were talking about it last night. It doesn't matter that we were, but, but, you know, we're talking about Barry Katz. His agent came on and is like, you know, if you start a podcast, if you started, you know, we Jay started this podcast. He started with zero listeners. Okay, in the metrics of the world, he started with zero. Nobody cared about him. It was zero. First week, maybe you pick up some listeners. Maybe you lose some after the second week. Whatever it was, but he started with zero, and now he's got hundreds of thousands of subscribers. Right. So he was validated by the democratic process of the internet and democratic process of the world about quality of his content. And I think for some reason that kind of loosely connects to what wrestling needs to do is we need to start thinking of ourselves right now as starting at zero. And everything we do from this point forward needs to be we're at zero, we're entitled to nothing, everything is the quality of the work that we put out. And as you said, these three-dimensional coaches need to start – the coaches need to be three-dimensional. And I don't care if he was the nicest guy in the world and he graduated 100% of his students and he did everything else. Carl Adams was a massive failure in this respect. There was not enough 
fan involvement. There was alumni giving was down, you know, regardless of one guy dying and seating and willing him them some money for a scholarship. That doesn't count. Like you need active alumni and you need to do fan raising. You need people who are there who are going to support you, who are going to stick up to you because when you when when the when the tables do turn, you need to have an Excel spreadsheet of your metrics available and you say, "Hey, we got 14,000 followers on Twitter. We bring in X amount of dollars. We've increased our percentage of alumni giving this much, whatever it is, you know, but right now we need to, th- the whole need, the whole community needs to think it's starting at zero because that's the truth. It's, it's, that's the kind of crisis that we need to feel like we're always in. And I, I, I'm curious, you know, let's say we go on and we get Olympic wrestling is saved. Are we going to be smart enough to, to keep all these people that have been engaged by this fight and keep them on the hook and keep them involved and have a platform ready to initiate, to, to use, you know, turn this into a positive. We've gotten, you know, these hundreds of thousands of people or however many it is now involved in wrestling and fighting for wrestling and passionate about it. We need to have that plan ready to put into action to keep them involved and to, to launch you know, what we talked about, you know, this one place where you can go for the wrestling community to get all these all this information and have all these uh, webcasts and these sort of things available so you keep them engaged. Or is it going to be like, okay, we saved it, everything's going to be okay again, and, you know, people just kind of, you know, pack up their bags and go their own separate ways. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what the next thing will be. Yeah, I, I guess you're right. I mean, it really, how it falls out, I mean, I think this is what the world sort of, on bated breath, the wrestling world's wondering: Are we going to be able to save this? And, and if we do, how is it going to how is it going to look? How's this going to look afterwards? And are we going to be able to retain the people that are interested? Like you said, that's going to be a huge battle for us. And we need to take this energy right now and these dollars and invest in infrastructure. You know, just as much as we're investing in in you know sending important people to important meetings, we need to be investing in our infrastructure. And and. Is going to last. You know, that's what's going to take us to this next phase of whatever our sport is, is that infrastructure that you build. Again, we have everyone here right now. If there's some place where we can direct them or steer them or have them go and have something there waiting for them that kind of catches them and keeps them engaged, uh, then I think we win. Then I think we have this kind of, you know, thing that we can build off of and kind of continue to grow from. But if we just have the same mess of, you know, crappy websites and, you know, broken communication. Well, it just it just makes sense to me now, like, understanding it. Again, moment of clarity. But I think the reason they didn't have Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff is because they wanted to be – they wanted to be cut off. I don't think they wanted to be held – I didn't think FIELA wanted to be held accountable for the last several years. I don't think they wanted to be an open organization. I think that was their intention. I think that – Whatever bullshit they were up to, you know, whatever the former leadership... And they were getting away with it, too, because no one really called them out on it. And that's why they didn't lobby, and that's why they didn't do anything, because they were like, we make changes, you know, we lose whatever edge it is that they had by being closed off. I'm not saying they were taking money or doing something like that, but, you know, there was something obviously going on. The, the, the betterment of the sport was not number one. That was obviously not their priority, you know? And look, as a nonprofit director myself, I can tell you your only goal should be to advance the you know the principles that you you founded your nonprofit on, not to put 
you know, money in your pocket or whatever the hell they were doing. I'm not saying that's what they're doing because that's a huge insinuation. But, you know, I, I don't think that would surprise anybody um, as well. Um, but, yeah, so on, on that note, we teased that, I, you know, teased this thing. I was going to say it 10 minutes, and now it's been 35 minutes and 30 seconds. So I feel like I've been a dishonest host. Yeah, you owe the listeners a payoff now. I know. So the reason, no, because basically I'm in India for covering the, I just got done covering the Asian championships. And of course the way it developed was interesting to say that. Yeah, how did you get to India? Tell me about what led you to get there. Well, I was doing the, I was bitching about Fila, much as we're doing now. And I was doing it in writing and I was doing it constantly. And... As we've been saying this entire po- this entire podcast, I got a moment of clarity, and I was sitting at my it was Thursday night of last week, and I'm I'm moaning to my girlfriend. And I said I'm saying things like, "Babe, what's going on, with Fila? Why can't they understand that we need better content? That we need to that people need to not just be our fans, but engage in real quality articles." You know, like most people discuss when talking to their loved ones. That's what I was saying. I know. You can imagine her eyes glazed over with disinterest. <laughs> she says to me, "Well, what are you? What are you doing about it?" And I said, "I'm writing articles about it." Yes, but you're just complaining. And I said, "You know what? You're right." So I woke up in the morning, six seven thirty a.m. Six thirty a.m. I got up, which for me is whew, that's early. Got up at 6.30 and uh, bought a flight at 7.30, same day, Air India, 15 and a half hour flight direct from Chicago to Delhi. Was on the plane at, uh, well, I had to be at the airport at 11.30, so I had about four hours. I had to run to Target. I got some shorts, which is good because Chicago doesn't necessitate that you ever wear shorts. And uh, was on a plane by uh, 1.30. I had to get an external hard drive too. Spent a couple hundred bucks. Put it all on my credit card, $800 flight, and was just hopeful that in the end I could see <laughs> I could see some money back, I guess. I, I don't certainly want to go broke, but um, I was on the runway. I was stuck be- between two uh, rotund Indian women in saris uh, for 15 How did that plane smell? I mean, that's a, that's a horrible generalization, and the truth is uh, awful, absolutely awful. Yeah. I mean, I, there's, I, I have no. Israel and the plane smelled awful. As well. It's not like I, I have international flights smell awful. Yeah, it's just a different different cultures, and I'm all for it, whatever. But I don't think there's a single person in India, including Indians, who are going to tell you anything but the fact that Indians are slobs. It's just the way that it is. It's just, it's the truth, and it hurts, but it's just the way that it is. For whatever reason, culturally extending back, I don't know, but it just it it they're just not cleanly, and that's that's fine. That's just the way it is. Yeah, if you look at Japanese culture and Indian culture, these are two separate ideologies. Anyways. Yeah, they think we're big too, so. Yeah, we are. And we're disgusting in so many more probably important ways. But I was stuck in there, two women in saris, can't fall asleep, 15 and a half hours, eyes are bleeding, got here. And uh, again, like I don't know that – I was fortunate enough because I have a friend in Delhi from my last time here. And he he made it available – his room available – a room in his place available to me, and uh, so I was able to crash. But I 
took I dropped my bags, took a shower, headed over to the stadium for the seven thirty final, show up and the guard says, No, 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 no. Finals were done. Seven o'clock. I was like, What? It says seven thirty right here. He's like, Yeah, it, it, done. They I think maybe they changed the schedule. It's like, Are you kidding me? Fila And they had. They had just they had that day before they were like, Ah, we, we waited around too long on Thursday, so on Friday or yeah. We waited around too long on Friday for the finals to start. So Saturday they just bumped up the schedule two hours, but didn't tell anybody. Didn't post it on the website, nothing like that. So, yeah. So, anyways, now oh, I'm. I, oh, feel you little. Yeah. So then I, I saw all the matches on Sunday and Monday, and uh, I think an article will be posted today about uh, the relationship between Mongolian men and women, and how Mongolian, how wrestling and for Mongolian women has sort of improved their social standing, and that. There's this bright future. Should we should we be able to keep Olympic wrestling? But that it looks really dim if we cut it. And then uh, I'm doing like a recap. So, anyways, basically, feel is like a uh, feel. It became a uh, just like a, a client. I'm a freelancer, and they just became basically there's a client, and uh, they're you know paying for my content or whatever. And hopefully, we can distribute it and get it placed in a lot of different things. But I think more importantly than just the actual quality of the content, which we both know is going to be Pulitzer worthy. It is the fact that I think what's going to be good for them is it's going to show the community that they're serious about communicating with them about their results, about the stories that happen in their cultures, you know, like, cause once you post that on feel.com, I know a lot of Mongolians have been there uh, a few times, a couple of times. And, uh, they're going to sign up. They're going to like the Facebook page because they want to read about, you know, they're heroes. And if you keep doing that and you keep writing articles about, you know, your constituency, they're going to, you know, keep following you on Facebook and they become invested. So anyways, that's why I'm in Delhi. I'm headed for a brief sojourn and, uh, uh, I'm, 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 I'm absconding to Bangkok for a few days and then headed to the African championships, uh, May 2nd to the 7th. Pretty cool, man. Like I said, you got a big set of balls. I admire your uh, get up and go get them attitude. But I think, you know, we need a hundred people like you that doesn't have to do what you're doing, but something else to keep this momentum going. I think it, you know, it, people with time have, have been able to do it. You know, like if you look at like CPOW, it's a lot of very wealthy people who are just dedicating their time because, you know, what is. Being what do being rich and being poor have in common? Being w- super wealthy and being super poor have in common, but that you have all the time in the world, and that's sort of you know people who are working on this are all doing it in that manner. You know, I'm mean, not saying I'm super poor. Yeah. I I fit somewhere in the middle, but it is tough. I mean, it's tough for everybody. You're an artist. I'm an artist. Uh, yeah, I, I can do starring artists, but I still gotta I gotta pay my rent there, champ. Hey man, anyway, I can help, but uh, I can send you my I can send you my rent check. I can send you my rent check if that's what you want to help. All right, all right. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll take a portion of my generous assistant coaching salary donated <laughs> to your cause. <laughs> yeah, being a freelance writer is uh is pretty funny. I mean, you go places and people are like, "All right, well, yeah, you you wouldn't mind doing this for free, right?" It's like, yeah, it's fine. I think writing is one of those skills. Writing is like, it's almost like driving where everybody thinks they can do it and do it well. You know, you never met, you never met a guy who was like, oh, I'm a, I'm a shitty driver. 
<laughs> Everyone's just like, oh, yeah, I could do this. I could write. I could be a photographer. Let me tell you what. I have a lot of photography training, and I'm providing photos for this. And they're not bad photos. I think they're actually fairly good. Here we go. But being a good photographer. National Geographic's not calling anytime soon. No. Being a good photographer is crazy difficult. It's a little easier with, you know, Photoshop and stuff, but there are so many tools and technical things to know. Man, it is that it's hard. It's composition, it's really, 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 really difficult. And uh, you know, I've been writing full time for five years and I still feel like I suck, which is fine, but you know. I my Brian Muir, who's often on this podcast, will tell you that he's a writer. You know, I could be a writer, I could do this. And he submitted his article. I just thought he was a degenerate gambler. He is a degenerate gambler. He's a one percenter too. But he, you know, he he pushes it out there that he could write. And it's like, all right. I read his article. It was all right. But, I mean, far. It took him a week to push out 1,200 words. I pushed out 3,500 yesterday. So, you know. And you did an entire call with me that just disappeared into the thin air. Which is weird. Like, I don't understand where it could have gone. That's what's so frustrating. It's gone, though. Never to be seen again. The file name is mailvoice a-1. File cannot be found. <laughs> Search computer? Yes. File cannot be found. It's like, suck it. I got so angry. When you said that, I just, like, dropped to my knees. I was like, no! <laughs> <laughs> Fila! <laughs> I blame Fila. But I think, you know, as far as the writing, I I think it's more important that you're you're truthful and you're honest and you call people and you hold people accountable. Like when I look for stuff, that's stuff I'm going to read and that's stuff, I mean, that is going to make the biggest impact. And I think it's going to create, you know, unless you tell people what's really going on, I think it's going to, again, we're just putting band-aids on something that's going to get infected. You're exactly right, and I think that's the problem that I've faced in the past, and I, I took responsibility. It's like we have such a tight community that I can at times – I'm the word – I mean not writing what I want to write because I'm afraid of retribution, and I shouldn't be because, you know, yep. Intermat's not going to do anything. But, you know, I pissed off a, I pissed off a very, very, very big coach a couple years ago because I, I mentioned that he was somebody who was on the hot seat, which he absolutely was. And I was right because his entire staff got fired with the exception of him after that year. All good guys. I'm not saying they're not good guys. I'm not even saying they're not good coaches. But sometimes, like in, within any organization, it just doesn't work or it's not working at the time, and you have to keep them honest. But, man, I, I'm still paying for that. He still won't talk to me. It's been three years, two years. Still won't talk to me, won't give me an interview, won't help me out. Nothing. I mean, that's what I was, when I read your, your piece, though, and you're talking about that. That's what kind of I respected the most is that the fact that somebody's willing to voice that. I mean, because unless you're posting anonymously on a message board, no one really seems to want to kind of do that. And I think that's part of what has paralyzed the momentum of our sport. You know, people are scared to, to hold people accountable. Um, every other sport does it. Every other sport talks about it. Oh, yeah. Every other, you know, body of, you know, uh, news reporting body does it in one way or another. But, 
you know, we don't, and we kind of act like everything's great until you read that a program was dropped or, you know, someone eventually did get fired or, you know, something along those lines. And it's like, well, we didn't know that was going on. What happened? You know, because no one's actually... No. And to give you an indication... They think about it. We, we do, in some ways, we eat our own very well. Like, we're not afraid to call somebody out, but we don't eat our own when it comes to our leadership, you know? It's like, uh, that's the problem people have with, uh, you know, a lot of Islam is that they don't see a lot of Muslims turning on other Muslims and saying, that's bullshit, and eating their own. We don't do that as well as we should. And a writer who will remain unnamed, but who exists in the ether... Um, you know, tweeted out something about how our site was, you know, losing its way or something. It was hopelessly lost. And, you know, we asked for clarification from this writer, and his response was that we were, in a time of great need, we were being too critical of our of our leadership organizations. He felt as though, and I'm being much more eloquent than him, but he basically was saying that, you know, he felt that we weren't, you know, being that we should only, at this moment of crises, we should only be supportive of our leaders. And the organizations... Just be an idiot to think that they, where right? we are right now and what's going on, that they were doing a good job or that the people who were leading us were making the right decisions. It doesn't mean they're horrible people or they're bad fathers or they're bad husbands or they're, you know, cheating their taxes. It just means that there needs to be an accountability that they're just like anywhere else in this real Bob and sales. If he's not making his numbers, he's going to be held accountable. You know, it doesn't matter where that is. And I don't, I think we've been kind of on a honeymoon for a long time. And this was the wake up call where people are, you know, either being forced to look at it in a different way or need to be forced to look at it in a different way. And that all goes back to, you know, what, kind of people need to be put in these positions when there is a shift change and, you know, not necessarily how many medals you have or, you know, how good you are, but what skills and resources and, you know, the ability to see the future and work with it do you bring to the table? You know, I don't care if the guy won a gold in the Olympics as much as I care about is he going to get things done and can he, you know, initiate change and get rally the troops. No, I, I mean, look, we, we don't have enough of that. You know, what is the Jack Welch, what is the old Jack Welch thing of cutting the bottom 10% at GE? You know, what is that, seven coaches a year that need to get fired? Ah, maybe that's a little high. Maybe it's more like 5%, maybe three or four coaches. But I can tell you almost every year there's three or four coaches where you're like, all right, time's up. Next guy in, you know? And Yeah, but is it, is, I don't know if it's just indifference or it's just, they don't make waves and, you know, they don't really have, you know, the, the outcry or the people who recognize it, that doesn't reach to where they are as much because, again, the, you know, not as big of a, the sport's not as big on the, you know, on the, the board at the school. You know, people aren't paying as close attention to it. But I think, again, that, that you know, it stagnates our, our sport and it keeps us, you know, it doesn't move us forward. I, I mean, I other sport, coaches change all that. It's part of the job when you're a coach that you should be, you know, when you do it, you know that, you know, if you're not continually growing or building or being successful, and it doesn't have to be wins and losses, it has to just be continuing to grow the program, that, you know, you're going to be held accountable. I, just, I, I don't see how it's different than any other place where you would work. 
I, I, you're, you're exactly right. It shouldn't be any different, but it, for some unknown reason, it's exactly exactly what it's like. And I tell you what, you know, like I was a coach for a while, and I was okay. I was not great. Like I, there was things that I did well. Like I could recruit. I did office work really well. But as when it came to like coaching, like I don't know, maybe I wasn't technical enough. I feel like I was. To be very honest, I felt like I just wasn't a good like. It was hard for me to connect with that age group at my age, you know. I probably lacked the maturity or the foresight. Like, I'm very, like, honest about it. Like, I shouldn't have been – I mean, maybe I would have worked at a better, different program. I'm willing to say – you know, admit that I'm not, like, a terrible coach. But, like, you know, I wasn't – it was – I knew it was time for me to go. You know, like, it was not a a tough thing. It's, like, coached, you know, had an All-American, did some things. But, you know, I lost – connection with what I was supposed to be doing and how I was supposed to be doing it. And there was obviously things that I wanted to do outside of coaching, but at the same time, like, yeah, there needed to be a better coach in there. And you know who the better coach was? It was Carl Fraunhofer. They bring that guy in. He, yep. and now he, you know, he has this enormous season with Columbia. So, you know, it's all good. Like that's, that's why you make changes because, you know, it, you know, you just do Buckley didn't, Buckley didn't have to go. He's a great coach, but he decided he wanted to make a change for, you know, to challenge himself in a new setting or whatever. But now Carl is, you know, the cream rises to the top. You just got to give them the opportunity to be there, you know. And you got these guys holding on like Carl. I know he's a nice guy. I, I hate beating him up about this. But it's like should have been gone 10 years ago. Should have been gone 15 years ago. It just it's, – it's not acceptable. It's just not acceptable. And I just – I'm – you just – you have to – you have to let these changes be made and let young guys come in, you know? I don't know. That, that's the thing. I mean, it just, it's young people come in and they have ideas and they have motivation. It's just different than a 50-year-old guy or a 45-year-old guy with two kids, and, you know, who's, you know, kind of just there. You know, I, I, it's just a different uh, work ethic. And I'm saying they don't work hard, but there's just a different set of, you know, uh, motivational factors in that life, and there's, you know, a different understanding of what's going on, and not everywhere, but I think certain places need to recognize that, you know, sometimes, sometimes change is good. Absolutely. You know, whatever the standards are for judging that, you know, it's going to be different in different places. But you see different, but you see um, like there are a lot of them. when you when you see these longtime programs, like these subpar programs, make changes. Very rarely do they go do they go wrong. If you look at – it's hard if you if you lose a great coach. You know, like Maryland lost Santoro and they placed him with McCoy. Same, same. You know, like, look, I think Santoro is a beast as a coach. So, you know, it's not fair to judge the two. But you're not – that's not a huge drop-off. So with the exception of something like that, but like Virginia, Virginia Tech, they go from no qualifiers, no All-Americans to between the two schools, six All-Americans. It's like, what, are you kidding me? Yeah. You know? And, you know, they had a situation kind of like that down at UVA, and, you know, they ended up making a change. And I just, right, again, there's so few jobs that the, the supply and demand model is so skewed that there's so much talent out there, and half the time they don't get a chance, so you end up losing. You know, a lot of people just give up on it or don't, you know, are scared to take a risk and try something else. 
And if you think about something, if you get fired from one or, you know, you leave one and it's hard to climb back up to be put yourself in a position to be up for another one. It, it's pretty rare. And unless you want to bounce around as an assistant for the rest of your life, you know, you need to, you know, it, it takes a lot of guts to be able to do that. So I, I think, again, it's a unique situation to our sport that needs to have some sort of accountability and people need to be held to it and, you know, some sort of performance standard. Yeah, that which can change or be different based on what your school goals are, but it all needs to be moving in the right direction, which is to grow our sport, sustain it, and continue it moving forward. Word, brother. All right. What else? What else did we did we not touch on that we touched on last night that was fascinating? Oh, Amish shoot fights. That's incredible. Yeah, Amish mafia. I think actually we just stayed more on task this time. Yeah, I think we, we, we kind of nailed this one. It was a good trial run, and I think we kind of hit on all the, the major points. <laughs> it's a... Uh, what you got on your agenda today? Today I'm flying to Bangkok. Tonight, 6 o'clock. I get in at midnight. Yeah. Uh, two, rest, two guys I grew up with. One happens... You would think that there's something to this, but there's really not much more than what meets the eye. One lives in the Philippines. He's running a uh, development project of Clark Air Force Base, um, Angela City. Uh, smart guy, wrestled together um, our whole lives. And then uh, another buddy from high school, or from, I say high school friends, I, I have three, and this is two of them. One lives in the Philippines, and the other one lives in Singapore. They and their significant others, and that's an important, that's an important side note coming into what I'm going to say. Them and their significant others are coming to Bangkok. We're all going to be in Bangkok together. It's not just three guys in Bangkok doing whatever guys in Bangkok typically do. You can Google that if you want. But uh, the girls are going to be there. Yeah, the girls are going to be there. I think we're going to go to a Muay Thai fight. I'm writing an article on Muay Thai for Fight Magazine. And really, it's just an easier place. Crazy as it sounds, it's just easier to get from there to Africa than it is from India, which is obviously four and a half hours closer. So it's just a logistical thing. Cool. Yeah, a logistical thing. I'm a United – this is a weird thing. In addition to having shockingly good credit for somebody of my lifestyle, like shockingly, like perfect credit, which is crazy. Um, in addition to having perfect credit, I also am a – United Club member, so I can go to any United Club at any time and kind of chill out. I get my bags, fly for free, and I'm 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 a big stink in the in the world of United. I'm sure not the biggest thing. I'm like a top. I'm I'm a ten percenter. I'm a ten, top ten percent. Man, you're like the Bill Simmons of the wrestling world. I don't think that's a good. In- Bill Simmons is like a first of all, Bill Simmons is is, is good, but he has like a whole network. Grantland is like his thing now. Yeah, but again, that I think uh, I believe in what you're doing, man. I think uh, you know you got to start somewhere, like you said, start at zero. But you know, you're moving forward. And, you know, as long as we get everyone on the same page, I think it's we got a chance. I'm hopeful. I, I really am, and I'm a usually pessimistic person, but I, I am somewhat hopeful that we can do something. Yeah, 
we all got to be excited for it, right? I mean, maybe that's what we need to do. Maybe we should start the. Uh, maybe we should start a. Uh, a sub- Here's two ideas for you, quick, quick fire ideas. Okay, talking about big ideas. All right, I want to host lightning a wrestling round. lightning round. Okay, first is uh, aggregate like a like a, a a wrestling site with better multimedia content. Hey, um, in the sense of collection of everything from around the world that can in the fila idea from high school to fila you know very much like intermat would do but multi between between flow and intermat somewhere between the two you know um but more information uh and something like closer to grantland so think like grantland intermat and flow have a threesome and this is what's created or how about this just the grantland of wrestling okay we can do that Second idea is I'm thinking, and I'm not sure if I want to do this through the nonprofit or if I just want to do it on the side so I don't have to do paperwork, but thinking about having a takedown only $20 entry fee wrestling tournament. And when I say takedown only, various rules, but I think what I'm going to try to do is uh, if you, uh, you know, maybe like first to touch anything besides your hands and your feet to the ground kind of thing. So if you touch a knee or an elbow or a head or something like that, um, mm-hmm. take down only tournament, kind of like, like wrestle stock, like kind of like Woodstock, but just wrestling. It'll be a festival of wrestling one day, you know, and we'll sell beer and people will have a takedown tournament and you can buy back in and work your way back into the championship round, you know, at a certain level, maybe like the, the quarterfinals, but $20 entry fee. Takedown only. I think it could be a huge thing. It'll be the start of the National Wrestling Festival. Also, third idea. We need to have a home for wrestling in America. Like one city where it's sort of like our mecca. What's wrong with uh, Iowa? No. Well, <laughs> what's wrong? So many things. But, you know, one place. We could even build a stadium. You know, we can sell it out. Do other things with it. But you could host everything from... Fila Juniors, like every big tournament's going to be in this building, you know, centrally located, you know, near hotels, near nightlife, the perfect setting. So those are my three ideas for wrestling. Although the second one, the one in the takedown tournament, I think I would like to do that. I think that'd be pretty sweet. I like that idea. And uh, I also like the idea of having some sort of central base for all of our big things because it's pretty hard to, you know, get around to all these things and know what's going on where and, and it's, it's just, again it's such a disconnect and it's such a you know uh, a traffic jam of information Complicated news feeds I think would be a huge place you know a huge upside to that everyone going to the same place being comfortable with it convenient and you can grow from there but always having to kind of start from scratch every time you move something somewhere uh, there's a downside to that. Oh, it's horrible. I hate it. Which bars are good? Which food's good? Which food at this bar that has good food actually is good food? There's a lot of questions that influence how your weekend goes at these wrestling events, and we can eliminate a lot of it by building familiarity into the process. So hopefully in the next bidding cycle, we can get somewhere that's uh, going to be a temporary home for four years at the very least. I'm all in with Atlanta. Oh, ATL, baby. ATL, Hotlanta. What you gonna? You gonna go to the clubs? Right. We go to the clubs. I think Charlotte, Charlotte, 
I love the idea of Charlotte. Um, I think Dallas has some has some merit to it. Uh, I think Chicago could be something that could could work out. <clears throat> Just hard scheduling it with the Blackhawks <clears throat> and the Bulls both playing. <clears throat> but I think there's some merit to it. I think there's there's some you know Chicago is one of those places where you can. Be uh, on the East Coast and just hop a flight. Cost you two hundred bucks round trip. You're not gonna. There's plenty of seats. You're not gonna sell out. But every time you have a flight in Oklahoma City or Des Moines, people are getting bumped. And there's like four flights to Des Moines. We had to fly to Nebraska or fly out of Nebraska. We had to rent a car, drive to Omaha, I think, and then fly home. All right, so you should be worried about figuring out when you're going to compete at national. Yeah, so exactly. You 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 make the point perfectly. Yeah. You make the point perfectly. You know, that's kind of, again, it's almost, you know, we want the sport to be looked at like a first-class organization. We need to start kind of acting and putting out a first-class product and treating ourselves like, you know, what we want to be treated as. Be the change you want to see. I think Gandhi said that. That's right. Right, he did, which is pretty... uh, Perfect. Pretty appropriate, if I could say so myself. You nailed it, dude. Not nailed. Totally nailed it. All right, well, I'll let you get to bed. It's got to be like, what, 3 o'clock there? Yeah, but it was worth it. Like I said, I'm part vampire. You are. we got to have you back on soon. Big idea. We're going to have a Big Ideas podcast. I think Big Ideas is what we need. Big Ideas. Try to get more people Let's to send them it. into the mailbag, but then they just kept sending the same type of questions. I said, no. People go on rants. They'll like, half of them you can't answer yet because we haven't broken through and gotten people to know that it's not character assassination. It's simply yeah. just a, a, a review of <laughs> the job you're exactly. doing. Exactly. <laughs> hey, look, what's great about wrestling is there's certain metrics. Like if you have All-Americans, if, you have, if you're improving every year, you know, you, you, that's fine. You can take dips at times, but there are certain metrics that are built into wrestling that make it easy oh, to yeah. if judge. If you're in the black or you're in the red, if you have fan support, if people are, you know, interested in your program, alumni donations, it doesn't have to be millions of dollars. It just has to be, you know, something there. Yeah. And it's pretty, uh, every sport uses metrics, you know, in one way or another. Like, I don't see why we shouldn't. Here, here. here. All right, man, so let's come up with the Big Ideas Podcast. We can put that together. It'll be a Big Ideas Podcast. It'll be a couple hours long. It'll be nice. Um, all right, man. Put your, put your name on it. Hey, hey. All right, put your name on it. Safe <laughs> travel. All right, man. Talk to you soon. Later, buddy. Aren't you be across the border in the year of odd sixteen? The people of Columbus still hear him riding through their dreams. He killed seventeen civilians, you could hear the women scream. Blackjack Persian on a dancing horse was waiting in the wings. Tonight we ride, tonight we ride. We'll skin old Pancho Villa, make shafts out of his hide. Shoot his horse, Ciete Lewas, and his 27 brides. Tonight we ride, tonight we ride. 
We rode for three long years till Black Jack Pershing called it quits. When Jackie wasn't looking, I stole his fine spade bit. It was tied upon his stallion, so I rode away on it. To the wild Chihuahua desert, so dry you couldn't spit. Tonight we ride, you bastards dear. We'll kill the wild Apache for the bounty on his hair. Then we'll ride into Durango, climb up the whorehouse stairs. Tonight we ride, tonight we ride. I'm old to sit a horse, I'll steal the warden's car Break my ass out of this prison, leave my teeth there in a jar You don't need no teeth for kissing gals or smoking cheap cigars I'll sleep with one eye open, neath God's celestial stars Tonight we rock, tonight we roll We'll rob the Juarez liquor store for the rape of Sada Gold And if we drink ourselves to death, ain't that the cowboy way to go? Tonight we ride, tonight we ride Tonight we fly, we're heading west Toward the mountains and the ocean where the eagle makes his nest If our bones bleach on the desert, we'll consider we are blessed Tonight we ride, tonight we ride 